Here you go. I think. <laughs> All right. Okay, and now to the remnant. Uh, would you turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21? That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, I uh, wanted to let you know about next week. Uh, my mother passed away on Monday, and so I've got her. I have her funeral next Saturday in Silent Springs, Arkansas. So, uh, a pastor who's a retired Berean pastor up in Nebraska, Paul Knott, and his wife Betty will be with us, and uh, he's going to teach my Sunday school class. We're going to have communion next week, just like normal, and then he'll be speaking with you in the morning service. So, uh, just want to remind you of that. Hope you'll be here and and support him in coming for that. Uh, we would appreciate that. And then don't forget, all, we have a lot of activities starting up on the 13th uh, to get us into the fall, uh, uh, the fall swing of things. And there was something else I was going to tell you, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, if I think of it during the sermon, I might tell you what it was. I don't know what it was. I won't do that, but anyway. Oh, I know what it was. I, I saw Tim and he said, I, I remember what it was. Uh, we're having a baptism on the 10th. And if you have never been baptized as a believer, in other words, uh, not infant baptism, and I actually have decided I'm going to have a sermon on that day as to why we don't baptize infants. Uh, we believe in believer's baptism. If you've, uh, since you've trusted Christ, have never been baptized. <clears throat> I have a meeting at 1.30 this afternoon. We've got a, about five people signed up already uh, on death row, so to speak. You matter because you are you. You matter to the last moment of your life. And our work uh, began to create a new specialty in medicine. Today we call it palliative care. And when euthanasia was taking over Europe, Cecilia Saunders was openly opposed to it because she said we can still give quality of life to these people who are going to die soon. So in 2005, Cecilia Saunders uh, unfortunately died of breast cancer at the very hospital that she started in a culture in her day that viewed a dying patient as a medical failure, and Cecilia Saunders taught the world how to view that same patient rather as a whole person. Today, uh, I want to talk about the fact that ministry is everywhere if you're willing to look and you're willing to be involved. Are we looking for ministry opportunities? Are we looking at the needs of people around us? Are we finding out where they're hurting? Are we finding out what they need, and are we doing something about it? We can sometimes err by giving the good news of salvation, which is what we want to do, but at the same time overlook what is called in our world the social gospel, uh, where they believe that Jesus taught us to take care of other people. He taught us to be caring and giving to them, and he taught us that if they have needs, we should meet those needs. And we shy away from the gospel that's social because we tend to think uh, the people that do that never tell them the news of the gospel, use their mouth and say, here's how you can know you can go to heaven when you die. But it's wrong for us to shy away from uh, the gospel of Christ's care for people and their needs. Uh, we also know it would be wrong for us to shy away from telling people how they can know God and how they can have a relationship with him. So today we're going to learn about food, not how to cook it or what it's made of, but what to do with it. And we learned that Christ was concerned about the physical needs of people as well as the spiritual food for people. But today Matthew's going to emphasize the food. God created us and he created food. So maybe there is something that we can learn from this this morning, and I think that there is. So if you have your Bible open... I'm using my New American this morning, and I'm reading here in chapter 14, 13 
to 21 if you would like to follow along. Now, when Jesus heard about John, so remember we talked last time about how uh, uh, Herod Antipas had John beheaded uh, in a rather bizarre issue that took place because of a dance. And anyway, uh, the disciples came and told Jesus, the disciples of John told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When in the evening the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. There's a lot of stuff in that verse about uh, the path of Jesus Christ in terms of what happens to him at the end of his life, and the Passover, and what he meant for his disciples to do. We'll talk about some of that in a minute. And they all ate, and they were all satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, besides the women and the children. I want to look at verses 13 and 14 first, if you're following along in your bulletin. And the point I want to make there is that solitude can be healing, but ministry is always pressing. Solitude can be healing. Jesus tried to get away by himself for a while, but ministry is always pressing. And so the crowds followed him. So in verse 13, in the first part of that, there is a correlation we see between Jesus hearing about John and his next move. Now, some people say he was so overcome with grief that he had to get off by himself and just just relax and contemplate that. I'm not so sure that's at all what Jesus was doing. I think the point is this. Uh, the, the fact that they hate Christianity is escalating in Jesus' day, and they don't like Jesus. Uh, Herod is willing to kill John, and so maybe Jesus needs, because the heat is on, to get away from there for a while so that he isn't killed before the time that God has said that he would be. And so that may also be the way. It just doesn't tell us exactly why, but I can see where Jesus uh, wanted to get away and contemplate that and think about that. He knew where John was. That wasn't the problem. Uh, so I don't think it was a, a matter of grieving. Anyway, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place. I want to remind you uh, to, to note this very especially that in Psalm 116, verse 15, it says very clearly, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of of one of his godly ones, precious in the sight of the Lord. I think it's okay for us to say, not that God weeps over our death, he may weep over our sorrows and those kinds of things, because uh, that death of that believer is not a, a time to weep, but a time to rejoice, and it's precious to God. God does have feelings about the death of his godly ones. He does care about that. But it is noted that it is not a fanatical grief. It is not sobbing out of control or weeping out of control. It is rather a hope realized. Jesus may have also been thinking about the fact that the death of John meant his death was also coming soon. Whatever the reason, 
Uh, he got away a little bit by himself. Don't, don't know how long he was actually there by himself before the crowds made it, but the crowds followed. They found out where he was. He may also have been trying to keep moving so as not to get entangled with the religious, religious authorities before the proper time, whatever the reason. Remember that at Lazarus's tomb, Jesus had tears, not for Lazarus in John 11:35. He wasn't crying about losing his friend. He knew that day what he was going to do. His friend will be back in just a few minutes. Why was Jesus weeping? And the word there for crying, the tears were quiet, silent tears. And I would submit to you the reason Jesus was weeping is because he is about to bring Lazarus from the grave, and he knows that all these people around him don't believe in him. The majority of them don't. And he's going to do this miracle, and instead of them changing their heart and coming to God, they're going to get more calloused against Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus, if anything makes him weep, it's that people don't trust him as Savior, and they end up in a place called hell. That's what, makes, that's what Jesus would cry over. A human's final destiny is always a concern to God. God says he does not delight in Ezekiel 28. I do not delight in the death. I'm sorry, Ezekiel 18 does not delight in the death of anyone. On the other hand, I want to point out that Jesus often went by himself somewhere or took his disciples to solitude. And solitude is something much avoided in our lives today. It is what we need, one of the things we need the most, because we're hardening our frontal cortex uh, by all the screen time we have, and we're stuck with our nose and those phones and all that stuff, and that tends to do that. And the remedy for that is solitude. And it would be uh, meditation, meditating on the Word of God, uh, not on just anything. We certainly don't want to meditate on anything else. And there's not enough solitude in our lives. It's good to come away for a time. It's also what we badly need. We need time to think about life. We need time uh, to think about our God who holds our life in his hands. And I think that's why uh, I used to, when uh, my father-in-law was alive, I would go out and drill wheat for him every fall. That'd take about two weeks or so. And uh, I remember sitting in the tractor, glad to be away from all these people, glad to be by myself, glad to be able to think, glad to listen, you know, to some Christian music. Uh, the phone wasn't ringing off the hook because my folks back home were gracious enough to say, you know, he's gone on vacation and let's leave him alone. And not that you can't call me, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up. But it was silent. And I would sit there for two weeks, bouncing across the field, drill, drilling wheat. And it was something different to do, and it was good to spend that time. And there were times I was kind of tired of the grind, but after two weeks of sitting in that tractor drilling wheat, I finally came to the conclusion, this is no good. I haven't talked to maybe three people in two weeks, because you don't see a lot of people out there. And, and I didn't get to talk to anybody, and I miss my people. I miss ministry. I can't wait to get back and share the Word of God with them and, and care about their lives. So uh, it was a recharging time. And Jesus did that in his ministry. So I just want to ask you, when's the last time that you did that? When's the last time you took some time in solitude, just yourself and the Lord, to do that? Uh, we had a time when we would take kids up in the mountains, uh, usually in the Mount Evans Wilderness area. I think it was always high school kids. We'd take them up there, and on one of the days when we were out, we would separate everybody and put them a long distance apart, hide them behind trees and rocks with just their Bible and tell them we, we want to uh, just, we didn't have trouble with cell phones there because we didn't take them, uh, except for the leader. And we, we just sent them out there with their Bible. We want you to spend a, at least an hour just you and God. And some of them say it was something that helped change their life. Uh, 
And I just want to remind you that cell time phone is not solitude, just so you know. Do I have a thing against cell phones? I think I do. Uh, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 14, 13b. Ministry is ever pressing. It never really goes away. The crowds took the shoreline around the northwest edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They had heard where Jesus was going near Bethsaida, and they got near to Jesus. And uh, I think one of the things I miss uh, as a little boy was watching people flock to Jesus Christ. How how many of you have ever ever been old enough to have been to a Billy Graham crusade in a big venue? Uh, You know what I'm talking about? thousands of people. Now, there was lots of people there that went down to lead people to Christ to kind of help people get the courage to go down, but there were still thousands of people. And I believe it was, it was either in, uh, where the Bears played uh, baseball, which I think was Mile High Stadium uh, in Denver where I grew up, but I remember thousands of people just filling that field to know Jesus. I miss that. We don't have evangelists like that anymore. And it was an amazing sight. And I'm here to tell you that it was amazing uh, to watch the people that flocked to Jesus on this day. Uh, they didn't have the uh, nice amenities of padded pews and air conditioning. Well, by the way, Northside, no, this got fixed on Friday, so uh, God blessed you with a little air conditioning. Otherwise, I was telling my friends, sit on the south side so that you can, you can get the cool air. <laughs> I'm teasing. Jesus went ashore to these people, and Mark says in Mark 6:34, he taught them. But I want you to notice Matthew doesn't say a single word about Jesus' teaching. And we're not preaching Mark. We're preaching Matthew. Why would Matthew leave out the teaching part? Because he wanted to emphasize something different, not just the teaching. We would assume Jesus taught, but he doesn't say that. Uh, He just healed people. That's all that Matthew records. He heals people. But Matthew here is emphasizing the physical part of Jesus' ministry. He cares about your healing. He cares about your problems. He cares about your sorrows and the pain that you have. Matthew wants us to focus on the concern because it's genuine that Jesus had for the physical condition of humans. Jesus is all about spiritual healing, yes, but he also cared deeply for their aches and their pains of their body. And I guess we need to ask ourselves, like Cecilia did back in 1950, do we care? Do we really care about the aches and the pains that other people have? I mean, do we care enough to do something about it? And by the way, I want to remind you that loneliness is a pain that a lot of people have. Almost never in my life, I can remember one time in my whole life where I had to wait in line at a nursing home to see one of the patients I wanted to see. One time. Other than that, it's just pretty much wide open. You can walk in anytime. Not a lot of people there in the first place. You walk in, no one's in line to see who you came to see. And they're always lonely, always lonely. And yes, I may hear the same story I heard the last time I was there and the time before that, the time before that, but maybe that's all they can remember. Okay, at least they know that somebody heard them, somebody cared about them. There's a lot of lonely people. I remember years ago, I was in my cousin's house. I don't know if we went to church with him that day or what, Noel and I, but we came to their house for dinner after church, and my cousin was praying this beautiful prayer, and in the prayer he said something like, and Lord, today please be with the people in the nursing homes who are so lonely and need somebody. Then he went and finished his prayer and said amen, and he just looked up and he was very quiet. We were quiet too because we knew something had happened there. What had happened there was he just convicted himself and he, and he looked at the crowd and he said, uh, 
you know, I guess there's nothing wrong with me going to visit people. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you think about that? Yeah. Don't just pray for somebody else to do it. Do you do it? And that kind of convicted him there. In verses 15 to 19, I want us to pay close attention to what happened here. Resource availability is not an issue when having compassion for those in need. Resource availability is not an issue when having compassion for those in need if you're a believer and have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we could, we could also title this section of our text, if there is a need, you do something about it. If there is a need, you take care of it. The ministry of Meals on Wheels in our community uh, is an apt illustration of this. We don't say, boy, I hope we get enough people to sign up to deliver. It's such a good ministry. We don't say that. We sign up because we know it's not going to get done just praying that God would send somebody else, but somebody needs to step up. And uh, I am very proud of this church for the way people step up to do a ministry that comes around rather often, and it takes time out of the middle of your day, and uh, people are doing it. And uh, I think that's a, a good sign that, that we love Jesus. So there's, there's times you can do ministry, just look around. In verse 15, it had been a long day, and it's ending right now, and people are very hungry. The disciples are good enough to recognize, hey, Lord, People must be getting hungry because we know we are, and it's getting late in the day. They have a solution. Lord, let's send these people out uh, to the villages, and they can buy themselves something to eat. And you remember where they're at? They're in the middle of the desert. They're in a deserted area. And as far as I know back then, there was, there was no Walmart close to that particular spot. There was no Heartland Food Center. And I want you to remember that there's only 5,000 men are being counted here. What about the women and what about the children? Scholars estimate that there was 15 to 20,000 people that they fed that day. There is no way they're going to find that kind of food anywhere near this place. Well, the disciples know it's late. They know they don't have uh, the money for the food. They know they don't have the food. And they're thinking this is a desolate area. People are going to need something, so let's just tell them to go find it. So who in the area do you think might have had on hand enough feed to, uh, to, to feed thousands of people? Maybe even 15,000. That's unbelievable. When you know you have a meal for 200 people, that, that's a lot of work. What about, what about 15,000, 20,000? Now, here's how the liberals handle this. People that don't take the Bible literally. The liberals actually say in their commentaries, the real miracle here is that everybody had brought a sack lunch and they were willing to share it with everybody. <laughs> really? Is that a miracle? I don't think so. We found one kid and he had five loaves and two fish and he was willing to give it to Jesus for this, this issue. Now, Luke tells us that. Matthew doesn't even mention it. Mark doesn't mention it. And here's the point I want to make. The disciples have a plan. It's going to be filled. Peter looked at his sundial watch and said, oh, yeah, it's late. We've got to get something done here. I made that up. He didn't do that. James 2.16 is uh, something we need to take to heart in this particular area and for this particular point. So if you're going to look at that with me, I'm probably going to start in verse 14. He says, what, is it, what, is, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? See, what we're really talking about is, does your faith work? Does your faith, you know, get to your hands and your feet and your heart? 
He gives this example of a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, brother, hey, sister, go in peace, be warmed and be filled like a prayer or a blessing, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? That's a great question. It apparently is not of any use. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is being by itself dead. Our faith needs to work. We need to do things like Jesus did. Not enough to say, hey, go and be filled. Having cared for the people, the disciples are ready to proceed with the evening's activities. But Jesus doesn't like their plan. Jesus replied, they don't need to go anywhere, you feed them. And verse 14 talked about compassion. And uh, I had Lisa put this uh, quote in here from Dr. Ross, so you can fill it out because it's a great definition of compassion for Christians. And so I want you to know it. He said, compassion is that internal yearning of sympathy and concern for people with great need. It is such a deep emotion that it cannot easily be shut down. We cannot easily walk away from people in great pain or poverty or desperate needs. Here Jesus had compassion on the people, and so he began to heal them. Now, the question that ought to be sitting in the back of your mind is, well, how am I going to do that with what I have? How am I going to do all, all this great ministry with just what I have? And we'll talk about that. Compassion means that we're concerned about the fact that somebody doesn't have something they need, like food. Jesus did not ask, find out in the crowd who can afford it or uh, who's buying cigarettes or alcohol instead of food, and, and we won't, we'll, we'll not you know, help them, or who's worthy of it. He just said, feed the people. You feed them. I wonder what you'd be thinking if he said that to you. If you were there. I'm sure we'd be thinking, how on earth is that going to happen? And if that's what we think, we're not going to get there. Because it's the power of heaven that brings it about. And the twelve found a young lad whose mom had packed him a lunch. And it's quite a big lunch. Uh, and that's in John, John 6, 9. He had five loaves. They say that one loaf of Jewish bread can feed three people. So this, this kid had a bunch for himself and two fish. The inventory, however, did not take long. How much food do we have? There it is. And they're woefully short. And uh, I don't have time, I don't think, to read this to you today. But if you read 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44, somebody came and gave a prophet some food for their prophets. And it wasn't enough. And the prophet said it's not enough. And uh, because of faith, they not only ate all they wanted, they had some left over. This is not the first time Jesus has done this. This is not the first time Jesus has taken care of people's needs miraculously. It happened in the Old Testament, too. God has dealt with problems like this before. Friends, he's dealt with every problem we've ever run across before. Do you suppose there's going to be a call for faith for the 12 here? Do you think that's what's going to happen? And the answer is yes. Do you think that they were thinking, hey, Jesus, we could use a little help fulfilling this command? Have you ever been there? Jesus wants you to do something, and you say, uh, hey, Jesus, are you, you going to help me with this? And that's the right thing to say. And you're wondering, how am I going to get this done? I don't have the resources. In verse 18, Jesus said, bring them. What do you have? Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. Bring them to me. See, what resources we have, we present to the Savior. Hope you heard that. Are you listening? What resources we have, we present to the Savior. His is a ministry 
of multiplication. His is a ministry of taking a meager amount and making it abundant. So in verse 19, the first part of it, Jesus tells the hungry people, sit down on the grass. Everything about what Jesus says and does from here on out is complete, 100% faith in the Father and what he can do. Everything about what he says is going to come true. He has faith. See, everybody sitting on the grass knows it's picnic time. Where's the food? That's what we ask. And I hear we're going to share some kids' bag of lunch. And people are saying, really? you got to be kidding. How's that going to work? And they're going to see a miracle of Jesus Christ, a multiplication of food. So listen carefully for the word give there, all right? Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed them, the food, and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, okay? We don't have any disciples today, but we have you. Jesus gives you something, and you're to give it to somebody else. We give away what Jesus gave us, right? That's what they're going to do. They give Jesus the meager provisions. Lord, this is all we have at this point. Jesus looks to the Father. He gives thanks by faith. He blesses the food by faith. And he prepares the loaves by just giving them out and the fish by just giving them out. And he says to the disciples, go feed these hungry people. You can see how there are spiritual lessons to learn in this as well, right? Do we see how caring for people works? That's the issue. And unfortunately, it's not long from here that Mark records that Jesus wanted them to understand you shouldn't be upset about what's happening in the storm in this boat. And then Mark says it's because they didn't learn anything from the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. It didn't register. Does it register with us? Do we get it? Do we understand what he's talking about? We can care for people. We don't have to have a lot to do it because Jesus has everything that we need. What we need is faith. They said, Lord, here's what we have to work with. And the Lord said, fantastic. More than enough. Pass it out. And the Father provided. In verses 20 20 to 21, we take what we have, we give it to help others, and God makes it abundant. All the people there that evening ate, and they were satisfied. The miracle included a multiplication of resources. It included all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's new bread. It was already baked bread, besides. And there were fish, and they were already dried to perfection. No one had harvested any flour that afternoon. No one had the time to add yeast to it if they did. No one needed it. Uh, No one let it rise. No one baked it. No one went down to the lake, threw in a fishing line, and caught a few thousand fish, a wagon load, to come back up the hill that day and feed the people. Nobody did that, and yet it was just there. Jesus just kept handing it out. And in the second part of verse 20, they had so much left over, they gathered 12 baskets full. And that's a sign. Jesus is all about Israel, and he wants to save Israel. He came to the lost house of Israel, and he has more than enough to give you One basket for each tribe, 12 tribes, to show I can handle your need. What do you think he was doing when he broke bread at Passover? This is my body. This is my blood, which is 
given. I want you to fill that in. Given for you. And it's going to meet all of your needs. Jesus there takes care of us spiritually. This reminded every good Jew that was present that day the way Yahweh had miraculously fed Israel manna in the wilderness. As Jesus later breaks bread in the Passover, the disciples were reminded of the feeding of the five and the four. The bread of life is more than sufficient for your needs, making that spiritual bread in Jesus' body. It was a foreshadowing of the future event of Jesus hosting a banquet with his wedding supper in the kingdom of God, which is yet to happen. God supplies for us abundantly all that we need. No need to worry. Jesus is the perfect picture of Messiah because he is the Messiah. And he's the truth of the anointed one of God. And he provides for the needs of people spiritually, if we borrow from Mark's account, because he taught them. But Matthew wants to know he cares about you physically as well. He didn't mention the teaching on purpose. The Messiah abundantly supplies the spiritual food for salvation. And he will also abundantly supply what we need in this life. You remember Jesus saying that? Don't worry about what you're going to put on tomorrow, what you're going to eat. God knows that you have a need. He'll take care of that. The gathering of the baskets proved Jesus has the ability to supply everything and things will be left over even if you'll just believe. The Messiah was sufficient for the Jews, but they rejected him. Oh yes, and by the way, the Lord fed 5,000 men and thousands of children and women on that day. And they still got 12 baskets left over. He provides food every day for the world. You ever stop and think about that? Every day, God feeds the world. And he feeds the animals of the world. And he allows us the privilege of sometimes getting food for the hungry who have nothing. We are to take what God gives. We are to take what God gives us and give it to those who are in need. So in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, the Lord Jesus took bread and broke it. And he was giving them not only for their physical nourishment, but he's telling them, this represents me, what I'm going to give you tomorrow when I die on that cross. And then he's going to raise again from the dead. Now he told them that was all going to happen, but they didn't understand it. They did it after it was done. And they need faith. And they also may need some food for some people. So they need Jesus. Don't forget. Don't ever say to God, I don't have enough to do this. I don't have the supplies. Because by faith, God will take our meager uh, supplies, possessions. And if we trust him and give those to him, he will multiply them. And he will take care of people. I'll leave you some applications here. I believe that, number one, Jesus honors faith and will supply everything we need for ministry to others. That includes your job, your livelihood, your family, your possessions, the things that you have. It includes everything. Secondly, we are to be concerned about both physical and spiritual needs of the individual, spiritual needs of people. Yes, we're about the evangelistic gospel of telling people how they can know Jesus Christ personally, but yes, we're also about caring for people's needs, caring for what they want, if we, and, and taking what we have and helping them be fulfilled. 
And then thirdly, we need to stop and ask our, ourselves the question because uh, it said in Mark 6.52, the disciples had learned nothing at this point about God and what he can do. The question there is, did, did we get it? Did we get it today? Do we understand it? Matthew 16, uh, 9, 8 and 9 says this. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked? And then he says, or the seven loaves for, uh, and four, for the 4,000, how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand earlier that I was not speaking about physical bread? So do we get it? Let us be among those whom the Lord God will not chastise for the littleness of our faith. Let's be people of faith, and God will help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the truth is there are times when we've said we just don't have what it takes to help this person, and we walk away from situations where you can show uh, your great uh, miracles by faith in, in what you can do, and then we fail in the faith. We don't want to be those who are of little faith. And Father, we know our world is coming apart at the seams right now, and people are going to start getting more needy. And I pray that we would be the people that are willing to love them and help supply them from our resources. Help us to be concerned, like Cecilia was, for the dying patients about people's pains, their hurts, their loneliness, their neediness. And I ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.